Um, I think it's going to be more and more important to be the human advocate in this process. I think sometimes technology and the speed of things we were talking about earlier um, continue to push design decisions to be made, you know, maybe in a little bit of a vacuum or without all the validation and the advocacy for humanity that it needs. So whether it's sustainability or, wow, should you wear that that long? Should you participate? Should you play with that? Should you put those on your, your head or in your ears or on your eyes? Like, I mean, I think there's a, a role that we play as designers because we're in that initiating, catalyzing uh, role. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, we learn from Brad Lovelady, founder and CEO of Astro Studios in San Francisco, one of the most forward-thinking and leading design agencies working for both startups and Fortune 500 companies in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is a series where IDSA and design drivers collaborate to bring you the best insights from the IDC speakers. IDC is the international design conference that happened recently in Chicago and is organized by IDSA, where Brad and I sat together. Brad shares his learnings, founding various startups and companies like Astro Gaming, running a design studio for now 25 years, the future of design, and how Silicon Valley and design has changed over the years. We learn why it's important to learn about business to drive impact as a design entrepreneur and why, how, and what design can drive forward. One of my absolute favorite episodes so far. So, enjoy. All right, I'm here with uh, Brad Lovelady, for inspiration uh, to me, and also design entrepreneur, I think, which is super interesting. So we're going to talk a little bit about the intersection between design and uh, entrepreneurship. And you're the founder and CEO of Astro, and you also founded a few companies during your time at Astro. So um, just for the people who don't know you, for the, the few, mm -hmm. uh, can you give a little bit of context, uh, maybe about your journey, about the early days when you went into design and uh, some of the drive behind that? Uh, absolutely, happy to. Um, I guess uh, when you go back in time, it was a little while ago, uh, after graduating from school, I landed in Silicon Valley, and um, right between HP and Apple and Cupertino. Um, There's a little company called Tandem Computers. Most people don't know about it, but it was a supercomputer company. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was fortunate to become part of an advanced concept team uh, and uh, started just designing supercomputers and kind of with this eye on the future. And uh, after a few years of that and understanding kind of how the valley worked and the entrepreneurial nature of startups and, you know, new technology sort of being commercialized, um, I spun out of there and was fortunate enough to work for Lunar Design uh, in Palo Alto in their early days. And then um, from there, went over to Frog Design. Um, and then uh, had some great experiences, met a lot more people, kind of broadened the horizons, uh, working for global uh, focused companies. But I realized that I wanted to start my own brand of design. And if I was going to work that hard, I may as well get going. So um, I started Astro Studios in Palo Alto, um, 1994. This is our 25th year. Um, the dawn of the internet, you know, it was like, sounds so long ago. Um, but I really liked uh, the idea of consumer products and where I think, you know, sort of the human side, the pop culture side, um, if you were the high volume kind of ADD driven side of, you know, the fast churn of consumer goods. And, but we could see the technology was going to go screaming into that same space. And so 
Uh, started Astro. We went and worked on everything but technology for a while uh, at that time. So sporting goods and toys and fashion and furniture and anything that didn't have wires, bits, and batteries uh, was kind of our, our goal. Um, but after a couple of years, you're sitting in Silicon Valley, you're sitting in San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, it was obvious there was going to come back together, and, and it did. We started doing a lot more technology products. So uh, a little more than half the projects are mm -hmm. consumer electronics. Mm -hmm. um, but because we sit at this crossroads between, uh, you know, technology, culture, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to be. And so we get to see a little of a lot in the, in the high-volume consumer space. Um, 25 years later, we're still doing the same thing. Uh, to some degree, uh, we've seen a lot of uh, different technologies coming and going and, again, coming into the consumer space. So uh, my journey has basically been to, you know, uh, shepherd, if you will, and motivate Astro Studios forward. Um, in the middle of that, uh, started uh, three other companies, um, one successful, one to be determined, and one failure, um, learning along the way with all of those. And, um, you know, uh, it's been nice to do as sort of a a lot more empathetic toward our clients, but also sort of, um, you know, like most designers having that, that goal to like, you know, launch their own products and brands. Uh, we were able to achieve that and go through that journey and realize, you know, realize the, the highs and lows of, uh, of entrepreneurship. Um, so that's been a big part of Astro too. I think 20% of our business is set up to co-create or collaborate with mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in Bay area, you get a lot of, uh, uh, you know, two guys with some money from the investment community or you get people spinning off of, you know, big successful companies and doing startups or you know, serial entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyways, all of that sort of is always hovering around. So we figured out ways to tap into that energy and, and benefit. Um, but then every once in a while we get to originate things too, right? Come up with the, our ideas and try to find homes for them. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, that's the air fuel mix we shoot for within mm -hmm. the Astro engine. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, if you founded design in nineteen ninety four, you said yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you also saw Silicon Valley and whole whole area changing, I guess, a lot. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely. So, uh, how was that? That was exciting. You know, um, I mean, there's some other pioneers, if you will, that we got exposed to, like the Lunars and the Frogs and a bunch of other really good, talented firms out there, mm. um, who were you know the earlier people uh, coming into the valley. But, um, yeah, we got to see a little, I got to see, you know, IDEO form, you know, become who they were and in, in the, in the, where they were. And then Frog's transformation into digital, for example, and a few other companies bubbling up on the design scene. Uh, a lot of comings and goings. But the clientele, you know, the apples of the world, for example, and all their different, uh, you know, versions of themselves. Mm. Um, early on, uh, you know, we were, you know, we were meeting two guys from Google that had a big idea. You know, we met a couple of guys from Yahoo that had a big idea. You know, we saw Johnny Ive get hired by Apple and, you know, we worked for them for a couple of years while he was a project manager, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, it sounds like ancient history, but, um, you know, so you're seeing these things sort of evolve and, uh, you know, right there in the same playground. And, um, yeah, it's it's kind of addictive, too. You know, you mm -hmm. see so much happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, to be part of it is fun uh, and, and kind of you're kind of looking for the next project all the time. And that sort of creates a bit of, I don't know, entrepreneurial design adrenaline. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. How is it being in you know, Silicon Valley, you know, driving you know, US a company or US you know, designers? How is that environment influencing, I think, the culture? Uh, well, the interesting thing about, I mean, I have some you know, philosophical reasons why I think California um, is, is the way it is. You know, mm -hmm. the sort of go west mentality, mm -hmm. you know, even the way the Amer America was formed. 
And I think that lives and breeds in Silicon Valley because it's also the gateway to Asia, for example, gateway to the rest of the world in some some cases because of education and Hollywood and technology and all of these things kind of coming together. But there's also sort of an expectation to go there and try to do something. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to fail. In fact, do it again and try it again. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a little bit of, I call it the gold rush mentality. You know, we all know from, you know, know, one era when gold rush. But truth is, is, you know, for a couple of hundred years, you know, every, every, you know, eight to 10 years, there's sort of a new gold rush in California, Mm -hmm. whether it's land or silver or gold or water or, you know, silicon chips and Mm -hmm. social media. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, a lot of, elements that kind of come into but that creates this uh, sort of rarefied air um, we also have like i mean immigrants from around the world that come there to basically you know sort of prove themselves in in silicon valley and, and take advantage of the opportunities so that's created this really interesting connection to china and india and europe and you know sort of it's sort of a technology freedom pop culture mecca mm-hmm. if you will it's mm-hmm. uh, for for a lot of people and um anyways we you know landed there very feel very fortunate about it um, it has changed uh, a bit over the years. You know, it's become a bustling, very expensive, you know, hard to get around place like a lot of, you know, mm. successful big cities. Um, mm. But um, but again, that, that, that license to create and be entrepreneurial is, is in the water. Mm-hmm. You're, you're already mentioning digital transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys are also doing UX UI design for some uh, projects, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how how big is the portion in terms of you guys started off of ID, right? Mostly, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's still the majority of the still work. The majority, yeah. yeah. But I mean, we do so many products that are uh, connected devices, uh-huh. or you know, sensory driven, or aware, or monitoring. Yeah. That I don't know how you can design just the With industrial the design. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're prototyping user experience, we're storyboarding, you know, we're doing digital, you know, prototyping as mm-hmm. well and, you know, wireframing and we're putting together sort of the, the, the side of the, of the experience that is very digital. Mm-hmm. And, um, what's interesting for me about that is, um, I, I think, you know, I'm going to be around for a while. I think a lot of that comes out of the industrial design, um, you know, history and ethos and skill set, which is to tell stories and represent sort of the, the product and the artifacts sort of over time and space. Mm-hmm. In other words, you, you don't just like there it is and, and it's glory. Mm-hmm. It's like I have to use this, so I have to map that out. Yeah. You know, and so now you, you have products that have companion apps, for example. Yeah. Like, well, that's nice. Well, now it's the app and the, the companion product. Okay, mm-hmm. and then so depending on the product that you're working on, now it's just they're holistic in the, in their approach. And then you've got to talk about like brand and service and subscription models and you know ongoing relationships with you know it's like. Instead of, you know, not every product needs this, but a lot of the technology-driven products have this ongoing relationship side of them. And there's, you know, there's big opportunity from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. But you, as a designer, you know, you've got to think about as many of those things as you can. Yeah. So UX and UI designers that have been, you know, sort of extrapolated out of the process mm-hmm. and, and, and made specialists um, are really important to the process now mm-hmm. and, and sometimes really lead the process. Mm-hmm. How many people are working in Astra at the moment? I hope they're all working right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not that the more, but you know. no, it's like, well, we, we hover somewhere between 25 and 30 people. Um, that's been on purpose for years. Uh-huh. Um, fortunately, um, you know, working at some other places, uh, I got to see what it was like to run global offices and multiple, you know, multiple venues around the world. Yeah. Um, that to me sort of pulled away from what I think a design studio in my mind was, you know, what I wanted mine to be, which is a little more hands-on, a little more intimate, Uh um, a little more uh, flexible. Mm -hmm. Um, You get to a certain size, you become 
dependent on you know billable hours and it becomes a little more like a law office or accounting firm or something yeah and and that's understandable i'm glad that exists but for us i wanted to stay close to the entrepreneurs as well and then have the ability to like recognize ideas within our our world and hopefully enable them somehow Mm -hmm. so size size played into that and Mm -hmm. we had three offices back in the 90s for a little bit and all in california for four Kind of just to be on the ground authentically. We're in Orange County, San Francisco, and Palo Alto. Oh, mm-hmm. What you don't think about at those times is you have to have operational teams that are redundant to that as well. And then you know what happens is people yeah. naturally gravitate to those areas, you know, that, where they want to live, and that that's a big part of the authenticity of what you're designing for. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you want to be if you want to be most authentic to your clientele with your point of view. Though you may not be that that in consumer that you're designing for, if you're coming from a place that you know that is for them, it's super helpful. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, after maintaining all this, like, wait a minute, maybe we want to just be one studio. So we settled in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Has a little more international connectivity, mm-hmm. and and uh, it's a great place to live. Great talent attraction. You know, yeah, so, yeah, of course. Yeah, I guess like it's also great to keep the culture right and uh, secure the, the the culture. I guess it's like with many studios, it's always hard to to keep that right. Yeah. Absolutely, um, that's a big part of that's a big part of who we are yeah. is uh, to try to not only develop but maintain it and through you know different people coming and going. We hire um, what I like to think of as really ambitious, creative people. Mm. Um, so in that, you recognize like they may not be there for long, um, and some you know, sometimes they want to try just different experiences, different ways. Mm. But so the longer we can keep them there in the culture, the better. Um, but to do that, it's a culture that they want to be part of. Um, in the early days, and I, guess, I would say all the way up till now, there's a, there's a certain amount of like people work, but then they also like hang out after, and they come in on the weekends and do their own projects, or you know, there's there's this sense of like that's their playground, mm-hmm. that's a designer habitat, is what we call it, mm-hmm. um, and you know, because they have to show up every day and work and sort of feel uninhibited and comfortable to get their best ideas flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the culture is, is been very important from day one. Mm-hmm. Well, what are maybe also design disciplines or aspects of design you, you you need to grow over the time? I mean, you industrial design you mentioned already, UX UI yeah. design. We were, you were touching on branding as well. Yeah, um, yeah. What so, were some of the disciplines that became important? Uh, well, number one from day one was industrial design and brand design. Mm-hmm. Um, brand design morphed into brand communications because we're really touching almost everything. Uh, industrial design, you know, from UI and UX, you know, uh, as well, but also packaging. So um, the biggest one uh, from the beginning is, is brand. We've always had brand. Um, we became known for industrial design. Uh, and that's about an 80-20 split, you know, 20% toward branding and the rest. The biggest reason we had it is you need to put, I believe, um, your, your work into context early on. And naming, branding, positioning, photography, advertising, packaging, you know, the things that make a strong consumer brand come to life need to be there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And if you're also working with a lot of entrepreneurs, there's no reason in our mind that you should have multiple designers from multiple disciplines any sooner than you need to. Um, and then if you're doing, so we basically want to bring brand and product together from the beginning. And so over the years, our culture is, is such that they're not so siloed. They may be from an expertise standpoint, but uh, at any moment you could have both of those disciplines working on, on the products. Um, that way you create a holistic property. It's not just a product. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a brand. It's sort of like, here's, here's what I'm going to market with. It's, like, it's almost a, you know, the snapshot of a company. Um, and then doing that, we've added UI, UX along the way, mm-hmm. packaging expertise. 
Um, we'll do a certain amount of consumer insights now. We brought consumer insights in-house, so we're actually closer to the research side of, of mm-hmm. the work as well. Um, but, you know, you strip it away. We're a design firm. That's mm-hmm. what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you share a little bit about uh, what were the, the companies you founded on the way? Sure. Uh, I'll tell you the first one, which is, uh, you know, all of them are like your children, right? You kind of like, you feel them very close to your heart yeah. and kind of help, you know, bring them alive. And then you hope they grow up to be what you want them to be. Mm. Uh, maybe that's a good analogy. But um, the first one was uh, in the 90s, we created a company called Subpar Golf. Mm-hmm. And it was a golf company, apparel and bags and a whole cultural brand. Mm-hmm. And it's because we were doing a lot of work in the surf, skate, snow, motorsports industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we recognized when we were talking to our friends in the snowboarding industry, they, they love to play golf. You know, or surfers, when they go wherever they're going, they're like, oh, we're going to take a day and play a golf tournament the day before. Like, But there was no brand for them. So we created Subpar Golf. We ran it through a couple of years of development, raised some capital, put together a manufacturing partner. And after some really early success, um, ran headlong into our manufacturing partner, um, kind of really making a sort of a hostile takeover of the brand. And we realized that they were kind of hold, holding us hostage through uh, through a big part of the development phase and the expansion phase. So we had a hard decision. Uh, the hard decision was to shut it down and not continue working with someone we didn't want to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and learn along the way. We were pretty young, pretty naive, you know, kind of like uh, having a lot of success early. Um, but realize that you know running a business is way beyond just the the basics of design. You've really got to have the other disciplines involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the perspective of what you know a business is that's delivering product design is a really important ten percent, maybe fifteen. Okay, the rest is hard work of supply chain and marketing and engineering and management and finance and on and on and on. And that's every day. So you got to have people that are willing to get up every day and bust rock in those areas. They're working hard. Mm. So you learn that along the way. It's not just design. Design sort of, you know, keeps it going and fresh and moving through. So we learned that with that program. Move ahead a few years um, after the dot-com, the bubble burst. Uh, we had an opportunity to create Astro Gaming. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we've done so much work with Alienware and Xbox and a variety of others that we saw this opportunity in esports. And esports was emerging quickly, mm. but we felt now that it's there, huge. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, now it was it was big then. It's massive now. Yeah. And uh, the idea that um, you know there was no professional grade equipment we felt for competitive gamers, nor a brand for them to rally around. And so maybe with the hubris of uh, you know the success in some of those products, we go, oh, let's call it Astro and start a new company. So we raised a couple rounds of venture capital, decided to pursue headsets because they were the most sort of ubiquitous, you know, neutral product, Uh, created the product. And then uh, after a couple of, uh, I guess about five years, decided to sell the company to a pre-IPO Skullcandy, uh, another audio company, a headset audio company that had a similar sort of cultural background. Uh, We sold to them, company continued to expand and um, it took off quite a bit. I actually helped run the company with my partner back and forth for a while. And then um, in 2017, um, they sold it to uh, Logitech. And uh, so Logitech now owns Astro Gaming. Um, it's expanded quite a bit, maybe three times bigger than, than when uh, Skullcandy sold it uh, under their global uh, leadership. And so it's that, you know, that, that child, if you will, has gone on to you know, college and is now professionally successful and as eSports has taken off. And mm. so that's probably been our biggest, you know, um, uh, success if you will but also you know we learned so much along the way stuff that was not in design school you know and uh, really enjoyed it 
a lot more empathy again for our clients even after that experience. Yeah, sure. And so those were in parallel. Um, while we were doing that, we had a little passion project on the side as well called Minus 8 Watches. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a, an interesting one. We, we breathed life into it, and then we actually licensed it and sold it to well, – we didn't sell it. We licensed it to another company, um, and they helped build it and run it for a bit. And then they decided to get out of all their licensing business. Mm-hmm. So we recently uh, have taken it back and uh, waiting to see what the next steps are. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, so I'm wondering a little bit, um, you were mentioning also like, you know, you learned a lot during the way, but also the team you work with, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was wondering a little bit, are you, when you, you know, hiring designers, you're looking for that, um, the drive for, you know, creating new ventures also, and like this interest in business, mm-hmm. or I'm just wondering a, bit, a little bit about like growing this knowledge about working with all these, you know, startups and ventures and mm-hmm. on the business side, what works and what doesn't. I assume it's not just you who learns from that, but it's also you know your team. Yeah. Um, so is it the designers that learn, or do you have you know people that are very you know or more deep into business that you know learn along that? I think the design teams learn. Um, again, it's not something we all naturally learn in design school. Yeah. I think you have to kind of extend yourself into the business world and understand you know how it's constructed, right? We come up with ideas and commercialize them, but like, what's the commercializing process beyond design? And that that requires being exposed to it. Also requires a little bit of, um, you know, I think internal drive to figure those things out and interest. Right? Yeah. Um, we have amazingly talented designers that aren't interested in that part of it, or maybe they are a little bit. You know, or any full spectrum, or other ones that are like super entrepreneurial. They can't wait to start their own company, or they they can't wait to start their own brand. And those folks seem to lean into the project opportunities a little more. Um, mm. But you know, that's not our expectation necessarily. Um, early on, we were expecting ourselves naively and designers to like fill as many of the roles as possible, and it's really not what we're suited to do. Um, I mean, it's not that some people don't have the aptitude because they do, but we realized, you know what, we really need, need people that understand finance, that understand operations, that understand engineering. Like, they need to be part of the company. And, you know, just like our clients, I mean, our clients have that same sort of model, right? And it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's take that into account when we're sort of crafting and creating our own. Um, taking a step back, a lot of times when we're looking for the designers that we're looking for, I'm looking to tap into kind of the original reason I think most people got into design mm-hmm. was just to create original ideas and bring them to life. You know, we have those skill sets and those skill sets have a lot of value. We as designers sometimes don't know how to value them. No one know how to like put them in place. So that's the business connection. You kind of have to like value yourself first and then go create a, create a, uh, you know, a model for doing that. But we look for designers that have a little bit of that entrepreneurial itch, if you will. Um, we try to provide as much of that opportunity, even though we're working with the clients. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, a big part of our business is that way. But that, that's sort of like, I don't know, in entrepreneurial, um, intuitive, almost inventive quality. Those are the types of designers that we look for, that they want to come in and like not just sort of clean up an industry where they are, but like bring something new to it. And, and you know, you have to create a, a bit of an environment or an opportunity that way. And not all projects that way. Sometimes, uh, as you know, you know, it's like you've got to have things defined pretty well. Um, and so it's a, it's a mix, you know, of, of having those things happen. Um, and then the designers that are that are I think have the most aptitude for that are the ones that also have kind of either lived in other organizations or have been involved in other disciplines, mm. all, even all the way outside of design. You mm. find people that are like, oh, yeah, you know, I have this interest in business or I have this interest in engineering mm. or this interest in manufacturing or marketing, whatever, you know, those other disciplines. Yeah. And so I'm a big believer that the more you understand everyone else's disciplines, 
um, you're going to be a more successful designer because we're quite often the catalyst for those mm-hmm. things or the initiator. Mm-hmm. And then we're quite, very often the, the, the people that coalesce that, you know, in, at least into the hands of the, uh, the, the full commercialization and production side of things. Mm-hmm. I want to a little bit about the, the impact um, of design with, you know, how successful these ventures are, yeah. uh, how design played into, into that. Uh, well, I mean, this, it's interesting. Um, design was the you know, initiating catalyst. I mean, design right now, especially when you're dealing with, you know, you know, sort of technologies that a lot of people have access to, manufacturing, rapid prototyping, like creating a vision quickly is really important and catalyzing that so that people can sort of wrap their heads around it. Like, oh, that's not just an idea. That's a brand concept or mm-hmm. a company concept. So that was a really important to be able to marshal the resources from design to bring these, th- these ideas to life. We call them near life experiences. And, in, you know, so you have to have resources available or allocated and you got to treat them like real projects, but you also have to look for some of the shortcuts. It's sort of like, just give me a vision that feels like, you know, a place that people could get excited about mm-hmm. and rally around from, you know, financing to engineering and, you know, or venture capital, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Um, and we've often been involved before actually investment and financing comes in. So there's sort of like our design work is almost like creative capital versus, you know, just venture capital, but we team up together, then you're actually bringing those ideas to life faster and, and more holistically. For us, we had to kind of set aside a certain amount of our resource and mm-hmm. and focus to do those types of projects mm-hmm. uh, without letting them overwhelm the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at some level, we've talked. You know, we've talked about like, okay, what if they were doing nothing but those types of projects? What mm-hmm. is that like? And that's interesting, mm-hmm. but you also start to become a little insular because you're not connecting to the rest of the world and being influenced by new opportunities and new markets. Um, you're already mentioning, you know, you, you learn by practicing a little bit, right? But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm just wondering about any designers who are really interested to, you know, play out more of the entre- entrepreneurial tendencies. Yeah. Uh, do they, should, you know, should they do an MBA? <laughs> Probably mm-hmm. not, I don't know. Uh, or, you know, how should, they lo- how should they learn about business? Yeah. Um, obviously, besides the, you know, learning by doing aspect. Sure. Um, I would never say not to learn and get a broader education. I think that's really a helpful thing. Mm. Um, I actually took the GMAT to get my MBA before I started Astro. So I was like, okay. oh, I'm thinking about this, right? Mm. And uh, it actually happened to be in a year in, uh, when I was sitting taking the GMAT test, and all of a sudden we had an aftershock earthquake and right in the middle of the test. And like oh. we had to clear out and come back and finish the test. Finish the test, okay. But I sort of took that as a sign, like you maybe you should stick to design, you know. <laughs> so, um, but ever since then, I've always been like, you know, maybe more and more business acumen is going to help. So I've sort of stayed in that space to try to learn as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're going to run a business, you need to know what that is. I mean, even a design firm, after about four or five people, you're 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 running the business more than you are designing sometimes, depending mm-hmm. on how you structure it. Mm-hmm. So learn about how those things work, you know. And there's a lot of great support along the way. You can get legal and accounting and finance and whatnot. But I think if you learn, again, the disciplines of business, mm-hmm. um, you're going to be in a, in a better spot. Um, a lot of designers, I think now, it just depends on the industry you're in. I mean, the craft is the craft. That's the number one thing. Is like learn about design and development of mm-hmm producing real goods through current, um, you know, supply chain and channels and markets and whatnot. That's, you can't, I mean, that, that's what we do. That's our foundation. Okay. But there's never been, I think, a better time to like tap into like rapid supply chain and innovation models, um, you know, direct to consumer, you know, uh, sales opportunities. I mean, like 
this is amazing what, what you could actually do now. You can offer your own goods pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it comes back to finance and inventory and supply chains and very what sound like mundane but are rapidly evolving and super turbocharged industries right now. So learn about those, right? Like how do I get my products to people? I don't just like step, you know, put a UPS label on it. Like there's a lot before that happens, you know. Yeah. So um, anyways, I, I think learning the other disciplines is really important. At least get a good framework, uh-huh. um, you know, and then because the design part is, you know, again, super important. It's like it's like it's unique to the world in some ways because you're basically bringing visions to a tangible space where people can make decisions about them and understand yeah. your point of view. Um, at the same time, recognize what it is going to be to make them successful. You know, your, your design ideas are, are just art if they don't go anywhere. And so to be design successful, it has to have, a, to me, a commercial aspect to it. Or, you know, and that can be still for, you know, for good. It can be for, you know, for pro, to, uh, for pro bono scenarios or for charitable works or, you know, just to, you know, to help and uh, affect the world without a very big commercial aspect. But the truth is to even get it to that point, you've got to deal with, you know, commercial aspects of, of you know, producing and delivery of, uh, of the things you're coming up with. So under, try to understand that part of it. And it's a little dry. A lot of designers, you know, like, I mean, I, I look at a spreadsheet, my eyes roll back in my head and I want to like, you know, like want to do something, anything but that, you know. Yeah. Um, but you have to learn it. You got to learn how, you know, how business operates. And then you can, then you can have more of effect. You can have more impact on what's going on. Mm-hmm. What's also interesting in that regard is there are a lot of business programs that, you know, also include design now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, so from the other side, mm-hmm. right? So well, what's your perspective uh, on that? Uh, I think it's great exposure. I think the fact, you know, if we can, um, you know, let people in business know that design is a strategic, you know, value from the very beginning. It's the big differentiator, you know, when everything's sort of the same. So, and I, and I think a lot of the smart folks have figured that out. Like they need to team up with designers. I think every company needs a chief design officer that's just overseeing design mm-hmm. as well as anybody overseeing finance as a CFO or, mm. you know, any of the other disciplines. Um, I would I would recommend that for any company, large or small. Um, startups have a tendency to make a mistake, in my estimation, of hiring really inexperienced designers and putting them in charge of everything. And that's that's a tough one because they're like, I've got a designer on staff. They, they do everything. It's like, well, they haven't learned what they need to learn yet. So there's a mix in there of like, okay, you know, finding people that have. Um, I think that the any new company um, that is facing, you know, not just um, – uh, consumers, but also business like B2B, you know, not just B2C type work, um, should still, you know, think in terms of design. It's just like, you know, if there's some priorities and aspects of it, but it's communications and it's sort of brand building and it's all kinds of, you know, intrinsic values that design would bring to, um, to any operation. And so, um, anyways, I'm, you know, I'm a big advocate of that side of the business. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of discussion these days also around that, obviously the democratization um, of design mm-hmm. or um, you know, design thinking you know, being uh, adapted and um, a lot of talk about um, you know, the design loses its value also to that, to this democratization. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any specific view on, on, on that side? Yeah, but a really strong one. Design's not a democracy. <laughs> okay. Now, that sounds a little hard, right? So um, I think you talk to a lot of people where you can in the amount of time that you have or they make expertise available and and you get good ideas you get great crosstalk you get a team of people making 
uh, you know, decisions and input and bringing ideas to the table. That's that's the democratizing part of it. Um, and you listen, right? You don't, you know, like, but there's somebody that needs to be a leader in that process. And this is where I said, like, the benevolent dictatorship side of design, which is get everything you can together. But then somebody has to make a decision. And, and, and you know, you can get as much consensus. I've seen too many committees and big companies that just don't get to consensus. Everybody's got a big opinion, but no one says, that's what we got to do. That's the hill we run up. That's the bet I'm going to place. Because it's, it's kind of what you're doing. You're putting a lot of money and resources into something. And it's difficult for some people to say, like, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to take a leadership role and, and advocate for this idea and push it forward. Okay. So that's the, that's the part when I say it's not a democracy. It's like it's a democratic process quite often, at least as much as you can have time for. Um, some designers don't have that. Like they've got a brilliant idea. They need to bring it alive. And you know what? It is about bringing a full vision of your vision alive as well. Now, a lot of designers will get caught up in that, and they didn't go out and talk to enough mm. people. They didn't kind of prove it out. So you got to recognize when you need more, you know, more input, right, from other think other people thinking in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, you've heard it for a while, and I said it earlier too. Like, design is the great differentiator. Okay, um, now design doesn't always come from designers. I met a lot of really smart technologists and marketing people and just entrepreneurs that have amazing ideas. So they need to team up with people that have the skill sets to visualize and articulate those ideas, mm-hmm. bring them to life, that near life experience, mm-hmm. right? That's where designers, I think, are great collaborators as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, not everybody knows good design. So if you're a designer and you say, you know, you're in a meeting in a room, it's like, guys, we got the idea already. It's that one. Let's go. Why are we talking about this anymore? Um, and in partially because people are uncomfortable in that subjective space sometimes. So that leadership role of design, I think, is important. Mm-hmm. There's been also a lot of talk about you know, the, the rise of importance of design. You probably heard about the McKinsey study. Yeah. Um, uh, where do you see this, you know, evolving, moving forward? Uh, what's your view on I that? I think it'll continue. You know, I mean, you know, the, the McKinsey's is a good example of you know all the business management guys have discovered design and mm-hmm. they are excited about you know having innovation teams in house that that team up and or define things for big companies and their innovation teams. So design is early in the process. Um, you know, and so I think the fact that, you know, there's a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit, right? They're using design, which is, you know, the, the art of sort of taking stuff from the black or blank whiteboard, you know, or blank piece of paper and bringing it alive mm-hmm. is part of their process. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, wait a minute, if we're there that early and we're helping craft mm-hmm. what an informed concept might be, then we can rapidly prototype and innovate and clients will pay a lot of money for that. And then I'll also sign up and, you know, we'll, we'll be able to affect the bigger programs uh, a lot further. Um, that's a little bit on the business manager side, but it's not much different than big companies as well. And their innovation teams, their design teams. It's like what happens with the design teams, a lot of them get stuck in a very, very important role of maintaining the current products, the status quo of the next, the next, the next and making incremental improvements. Uh, unless a company will step outside and make a very strong, innovative, design-led team that actually is going out and crafting stuff from scratch and, and identifying new opportunities along with maybe business management, maybe marketing, or maybe just on their own, and then funneling those into this bigger organization, um, then there's sort of a risk of someone else doing that hard work and you know their R&D, if you will. And I think that's where design plays you know, a unique role in sort of catalyzing and starting these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think design will be around for a while for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it has shifted in some interesting ways. There, people have amazing skill sets. 
and can make things look real very quickly that maybe haven't really been marinated and developed as much as they should. Um, a lot of people are really good at the at the you know the programs of you know illustration and animation and storyboarding etc., which is great. But there is a design process that kind of requires the physicality, the trial and error, the proving out or validating of things. So when you go too fast, sometimes people take the first idea and run with it. It may not be the best idea. Sometimes it's not as maturely developed as it should be. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think you'll see a lot of design going is like you know continuing to like rapidly visualize and develop. That's not going to stop, you know. But it is a little bit of like, can people kind of get get control of the process enough um, to include the right people, get the right things developed, make the decisions, and then execute on the design at a pretty high level? That doesn't be that is sorry that isn't affected by just the rapid you know need to get to market, for example, or the rapid expansion of of uh, you know competitiveness, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more companies um, are sort of seeing like, oh, wait a minute, I need a little more time to make sure this idea is correct and developed and kind of pushing back a little bit maybe on the rapid innovation validation side of things. Um, the same time, time is money. It's a business. You know, people have to, to kind, of, kind of bring new things to life quicker. And we can't because we've got some really amazing tools and, you know, partners to do that now. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe reflecting a little bit also on uh, industrial design, right? Yeah. So at the IDC conference, sure. so um, you also saw these industrial design, you know, shaping or being transformed to all all, the, uh, all these years with uh, with Astro. Um, where do you see it? You know, where do you see the future of industrial design going? Um, well, I think it's got a bright future. Um, I'm really excited about the fact that we're integrating things in a more human way, right? A more personal way. Um, you know, like, it's kind of funny, like we've gone through this, you know, whole digital assistant side and, you know, the smartphones and the wearables and hearables and all those things. And they're still all there. They're not, they're not going away. It's just the next evolution of them. But they've taken on an air of, of fashion. They've taken on an air of, you know, identity, uh, much like your clothing and, you know, you know, your house and your home and your Mm -hmm. cars and things like that. And so I think industrial designs is, uh, there's a lot of job security because this is sort of being permeated through all aspects of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be more and more important to be the human advocate in this process. I think sometimes technology and the speed of things we were talking about earlier um, continue to push design decisions to be made, you know, maybe in a little bit of a vacuum or without all the validation and the advocacy for humanity that it needs. So whether it's sustainability or, wow, should you wear that that long? Should you participate? Should you play with that? Should you put those on your your head or in your ears or on your eyes. Like, I mean, I think there's a, 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 a role that we play as designers because we're in that initiating, catalyzing uh, role. Mm-hmm. So I think you'll see some new disciplines maybe come out of, you know, out of what we're doing, much like UI and UX sort of evolved over the years. Um, and, it, and, you know, it could be it could be in this sort of, um, you know, like, you know, human designer, you know, sort of role. Um, and uh, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I continue to sort of hope for a bit as well mm-hmm. that we don't, just become, you know, one more, you know, cog in the machine, but we actually are, you know, the ones that are sort of, you know, involved, but also uh, orbiting and monitoring the whole process a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that will open up opportunity for design. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I see a lot of design folks not be- becoming segmented and not spending all of the time maybe needed to fully develop 
it used to be, and this is maybe old guy talk here too, but you know, it used to be that you could stay with a whole process and you really see it. You live at the factory, you'd be in the model shop, you would be in every EV build and you would, you know, not in every case, but you would see the, the full process. And I'm starting to see more and more people just doing pieces of it. Of yeah. And there's, there's efficiency reasons for that. There's business reasons. But I think as designers, you really need to know, like from the blank whiteboard space to, you know, when the person takes it out of the box at their house, you know, mm-hmm. and um, as much of that as you can. So, you know, you'll start, I just think you'll see more and more specializing segments there, mm-hmm. but maybe the people that oversee like and understand the whole part of it are the ones that are becoming more rarefied. Not as many full product developers, mm-hmm. you know, full product designers. Um, and that might be opportunity, I think, uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. For designers, that could be an advice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of have to, if you're going to do your own product, you kind of do that anyways, right? Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're working for the company, there's program management, there's project managers, yeah. there's directors of all sorts. There's lots of handoffs along the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's important. Don't get me wrong. That's not going to change, you know, in a lot of cases. But... Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's. I'm seeing fewer and fewer people that have done the whole process and continue to do that over and over again. And maybe I'm not looking in the right places, but it, it feels that that's changed a bit. Mm-hmm. There are also you know a couple of interesting trends that you know, start to shape industry design. You know, like you know, additive or rapid manufacturing, right? Um, mm-hmm. On top of sustainability, uh, what are, what do you see as the major trends or things that you know people should really um, Uh, take into the um, you know skill set and uh, be aware of. Well, I mean, all the, all of the sort of desktop prototyping and manufacturing tools. I mean, the ability to, to you know, that's still you know, I uh, still uh, in its infancy a bit. Um, even though we use them every day, you know, what's available to us, mm. I think that's going to continue to to create Scale some. New, more, huh? Yeah, I think industrial design has always had the power of putting a, a physical object on the table or bring it into the room or. Mm you know, and have people experience those things. And that's very powerful. Um, I don't think we should lose track of that, you know, and, and um, I think, you know, our engineering friends will do that and manufacturers to a degree, but it's still the design version of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the tools are there that make that happen. So I'm hoping that, you know, we just keep figuring out the best way to use those those tools to tell big stories and to have, have new experiences for people. Um, I think that's going to be helpful. I mean, all the, obviously all the CAD and illustration packages and everything else to, to actually get in under the hood and, you know, detail these, detail your work out is really, really important. But what we find ourselves more and more is spending time creating tools for people to make decisions to sort of move things forward with confidence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's to talk to their consumers and sometimes it's to talk to the CEO or to be the, you know, to be the person that validates along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, that's, that's probably, um, a little bit more of the near term, like it's just evolved. It's happening in real time yeah. while we're while we're involved with it. Um, but I think the you know if I if I hope if you will for the design side and the, uh, again that human advocacy is that you know people recognize that like okay the designers are here not to design for themselves but to identify the humans in the process that can you know not just the consumer nature. But like the humanity side of you know what's going on, and we figure out ways to uh, you know to talk about these somewhat subjective things like like design, yeah. but to like say okay, well you know what you know none of us here are little kids or mature adults that are dealing with this, but let me represent them. Let me tell you why they need to be considered differently than oh that's just for kids. Well, kids are segmented, and there's a lot of variance. Well, elderly folks are that way, or 
special needs people or this country or that business model or, you know, like, and again, that human advocacy in the process, I think is, is a big opportunity for us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also mentioning that, you know, you had certain failures with your, you know, ventures <laughs> and stuff. Is there mm-hmm. like one of, do you have like uh, one of the, maybe your biggest learnings um, to share from, from that? Wow, that's interesting. Well, you know, uh, my own therapy uh, would, you know, therapist would tell you that, you know, it's, it's better to, I don't have a therapist, but other than other design folks. But anyways, my... Um, would tell you that none of them are failures because we've learned so yeah, much along right. the way, right? That's yeah, sort of the, yeah. the that that you know enables you to be successful, right? Right. Yeah. I think it's and I think that's the key. Um, like even successes have things that you and I think this is a designer, not just a designer thing, but we're we're yeah. really good at being discontent with whatever is even there. Like you want to keep designing, you want to keep fixing it. Yeah. So even failures, I'm like, okay, we it's learned this. if we just process. change this, if we just oh, the next time we'll do that, you know. Mm. It's sort of this kind of ongoing positive, you know, rolling forward. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably don't lose that, right? Like, don't get so discouraged. Um, you, you put a lot into every venture, you know, and we, you know, even for our clients and for our projects, like designers are really good at like putting themselves so in there and they care so much and they're so emotional about it. And don't become detached from it. Um, that when something fails, you know, and we've had a lot of things that fail in the marketplace. And it's, you know, we look at it and go like, oh, it wasn't the design, you know, it was poor sales or bad timing or the yeah. marketing or, you know, any number of things. Uh, but it hurts, you know, like, because you do care that much as a designer. Um, and so, I, you know, I, when I see like a product that sort of, okay, that uh, that uh, breaks too, too early or that um, falls apart, um, you know, or there's a technology problem or wow we didn't think about that you know i guess we could have caught that if we had tested one more time like those are the little failures inside of the successes that i think add up that you want to pay attention to so that you don't repeat those things or you can at least be that advocate for that level of improvement as well mm-hmm. um, does that make sense yeah yeah, absolutely. yeah i think it's interesting how you connect it to you know being almost natural to designers you know a failure being a part of the iterative design processes yeah. designers are known to right yeah, yeah i had a I, mean, I had an instructor once that um told me like we were working on our project and it you know i was trying this thing it was really hard to do i won't say what it was but it was like early in my design you know process and uh, it was like it just wasn't working it was just failing at every like ah oh, this is a good idea but it's just not working the materials were cracking the joints were breaking whatever and so you know i got one day before and i'm like that's it i'm scrapping it and i started again And I did another project, and it worked, and it met the criteria in one day, right? It was kind of a nice recovery. And my professor basically, you know, in that, in that piece taught me a lesson, taught our class a lesson, I guess, which was like, hey, I watched him struggle, and I saw him just, like, finally give up on the idea that just wasn't working and scrap it and replace it with a better one in a very short amount of time. Um, and the, the ability to, like, recognize that in your own work and not just sort of massage it to death or hope it's going to work no matter what is also a skill set as opposed to the one of hanging on and just fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. It's sort of being realistic with yourself. Mm-hmm. Is this the right thing? And so I've always been able to like not fall so in love with my work that I couldn't replace it with something better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way I kind of look at things that might be considered failures is like, yeah, but we've got this far yeah. and I'll we'll get further the next time. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I think we need to you know, wrap this up. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. It's been amazing insights. You know, oh. amazing well, thanks for the opportunity. Stuff. You know, um, you can tell I, you know, I don't mind talking, and uh, you know, this is always a, a great venue. You know, IDC and design, and 
Uh, like I said, I have a special place in my heart for IDSA. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a good group, people trying to do good things, and so I'm yeah. happy to contribute. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.